good morning. So glad you're here. Um, to those of you online with us, we're glad you're joining us as well. Um, so glad to be here today. So we're in the series called I Doubt That. And my goal in this series is not to erase all of your doubts. One, I don't think that is possible. And two, I don't think that is helpful. Because if we were to somehow erase all of the doubts you have currently, more doubts will arise along the way. And so my goal is not to erase all of your doubts. My goal is to simply help you to figure out how we handle our doubts. What do we do when we doubt? What do we do when we go through difficult times in our life? And and, and we said last week, my experience, right, this is not backed with research. Barna hasn't entered into the conversation. There probably are studies on this, but my personal experience from talking to people is the majority of the time, for most people, Doubt does not arise from an intellectual crisis, but from an experiential crisis. They're not just sitting around one day and say, you know what, I'm really struggling with believing in God or believing in Jesus or believing that God cares about me. But it comes about a lot of times through experiences and things that have happened to them or happen to loved ones that they know and care about, and maybe even just from observing a broken and hurting world. You, you look around and there are so many questions of, God, are you there? God, are you listening? God, do you care that I'm going through this? I feel like I'm all alone. Or God, how could you allow things like this to happen in our world? How can you allow children to go without parents or without food? How can you allow a tornado to rip apart a community? And and for most of us, these experiential crises we go through lead us to more of an intellectual crisis where we start to wonder and we start to question. And I think so many times, the way that we talk about God in the first place, especially in our circumstances, is so incredibly unhelpful. And we have the best intentions in doing it. For instance, let's just say today I take my family to eat afterwards and we have an incredible meal, and I'm driving home And a driver, speeding, decides to run a red light. I know it's a stretch in Tyler. (laughs) Decides to run a red light and T-bones my car. And I walk away with no injuries. But the driver who was speeding and hits my car is killed. My guess is that I would have people come visit me and people check on me. And my assumption is that there would be a lot of people that say, man, God was with you and God was taking care of you. And we could say, okay, that's true. But the question on the other side of that, was God with 
the person who hit me? Was he with the person who didn't make it out of the accident? Or someone's diagnosed with cancer. And they battle and they go through chemo. And they come out on the other side, healed, healthy, and cancer-free. And we say God's with them. A few years ago, one of our dear friends, a 10-year-old boy, lost his battle with cancer. Would we say God is with one person and not with the other? See, in our mind, it is our circumstances that make a difference. It is our circumstances. Because we believe our circumstances are a reflection of how God feels about us. We believe our circumstances, what we're going through, is a reflection of how God feels about us. And the problem that we run into in these crises of faith is that God does not meet our expectations. We expect God to show up and to work in specific ways. But the question comes, what happens when God does not show up when you thought He would? What happens when God does not show up how you thought He would? What happens when God does not show up and do what you thought He would? We have these expectations of this is how God is going to work. And if I were God, this is what would happen. And for most of us, we've been around long enough to know that God does not always work in the way that we would expect Him to work. God does not always do what we would expect Him to do. The people of Israel had very specific expectations of a Messiah. And that this Messiah would come and He would wipe out all the other world powers and He would establish an earthly kingdom and the Messiah would sit on the throne. And if Messiah was on the throne, then that meant Pharaoh was not on the throne. It went Nebuchadnezzar was not on the throne. It meant Herod is not on the throne. It meant Caesar is not on the throne. But the Messiah is here and he is king. That's what they were waiting for. That's what they were expecting. One of the big characters in this story of expectation is a guy named John the Baptist. And he comes along saying, hey, I am preparing the way for the Messiah. He is coming. And he goes to all the religious leaders and he says, your life is not in line with God's kingdom. You need to get your life in order to line up with the kingdom of God. And if you do that, you're going to receive his blessing. And he keeps telling people this, and the people are angry. At one point, he calls the Pharisees and the teachers of the law a brood of vipers. He, he calls them out. He confronts them, and they are so angry. 
And in the midst of this confrontation, Jesus himself comes to John and he says, I need you to baptize me. And John baptizes Jesus, reluctantly baptizes Jesus. Then right after Jesus is baptized by John, there's this little small caveat in Matthew's Gospel. In chapter 4, it's kind of just a, a side note. By the way, John is put into prison. It, it makes no other comments about it. It just kind of is a side note in verse 12 of chapter 4. It, and it's so strange. John is put, is put in prison. And then it doesn't really mention John until a good bit later in the story. In chapter 11, we encounter John once again. And so we're going to pick up here in chapter 11, verse 2. When John, who was in prison, right? Matthew's already told us he was there. Heard about the deeds of the Messiah, the one he came to prepare the way for. He sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Now, this, the one who is to come is this idea of the coming one, literally, is what the Jewish people would be talking about. There is the coming one. He is the Messiah. He is the king. He is the one who is going to set up his earthly kingdom, and he is going to reign. And if he is king, then Herod is not. And they were waiting for the Messiah with great, great expectation. And John finds himself in prison. And he sends Jesus' disciples to ask them this question. Are you the coming one? Are you the one that we've been waiting for? Are you the one who is going to wipe Herod and his kingdom off the face of the earth? Or should we expect someone else? Because John, I think, is starting to have some doubts because of his experience. Because of his circumstances. Because of his expectations. Because he expected the Messiah to show up. And the Messiah doesn't show up when he thought he would. He doesn't show up how he thought he would. He's not showing up and doing what he thought he would do. And John says, hey, I need to know. Are you the one we were expecting? Are you the one we've been waiting for? Or did we get this wrong? Because if we got this wrong, it's probably not too late for me to go back to Herod and say, Herod, hey, I really messed up and I'm sorry. If you're not the one who we're expecting, who's going to be the king, then I can go make peace and maybe I can get out of this prison cell. Jesus, I need to know, are you there with me? Are you who you say you are? Because this is really important. This is life or death for me. I need to know. 
Are you the one who was to come? Because, and this is important, I have been doing exactly what you sent me to do. And now I'm in trouble for it. I'm doing what you told me to do. I'm saying what you told me to say, and I'm in prison. I'm doing the right thing, and I'm being punished for it. And that doesn't make sense in my mind. See, it was Herod who put him in prison. And if you read the New Testament, there are a lot of Herods that show up. But there are some Herods that are really important to this story. So Herod the Great um, has 11 sons and at least five wives. Um, Some historians say possibly 10. Um, And he has a son. One of his sons is Aristobulus. And Aristobulus has a daughter named Herodias. All right. And then um, he has another son, Herod Philip. And Herod Philip and Herodias, this is most likely, most historians think this is what happened, have a daughter named Salome. And Salome, and just, just to clear things up for you real quick, um, Philip marries his half-brother's daughter, which would make Make her his niece. And they have a daughter together. And then one of his other sons, Herod Antipas, comes on the scene. And he marries, or at least is together with, Herodias. And so what John is in prison for is one, I think he's going to Herod and saying, hey, your kingdom is coming to an end. The Messiah is here, and he's going to sit on a throne, and if he's on your throne, then you're not on the throne. But he's also going to Herod and saying, hey, this relationship with Herodias, with your brother's wife, is not right. So, John the Baptist is doing exactly what God has told him to do. He is walking in God's will. If anyone ever was walking in God's will, it was John. And now he finds himself in prison because of it. He's doing the right thing. And we talked about this last week. Bad things happen to us. One, because of our choices. There are times we make really bad decisions. Um, There are also times we make really good decisions and we still pay a price for it. But we also, bad things happen to us because other people make choices that affect us. Other people do things and it causes us pain. And John is making the right decision And it is causing him pain. And Herod is the one that is bringing that pain on him. I mean, can you you relate to John? 
You, you find yourself in prison thinking, wait, this is exactly what God told me to do. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do and it's not working. Are you the one who is to come? Because if you're not, I want out of this. If you're not, if we should expect someone else, then it's not too late for me. Then how does Jesus answer? Let me, let me just tell you how I would expect. Here, here's how I would assume Jesus would answer John. Hey, I want you to go tell John something. Where's your faith? What, what are you doing? Are you not stronger than this? To let a little roadblock, a little pain, a little suffering? Are you, are you not strong enough? To, that's how I would expect Jesus to answer. But he doesn't. He sends word through his disciples. And he says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble or fall away on account of me. Jesus quotes from Isaiah. See, what happened to John in prison is he developed a vision problem. And, and by that, I don't mean his eyes started to fail. But his vision failed. Because walls limit vision. He's in a prison cell. And he can't see anything else that's going on. And I think what Jesus understands is John needs someone to be his eyes and to see beyond what he is capable of seeing. Because walls limit our vision. And we say that physically, and you know that. I don't, I don't have to tell you that. But metaphorically, walls limit our vision as well. A diagnosis with cancer can limit your vision and your ability to see. The loss of a child or spouse, or a parent can limit your ability to see. Your debt can limit your ability to see. Your circumstances, that co-worker, can limit your ability to see beyond the walls that you're trapped in. And so Jesus tells the disciples, go tell John, I know you cannot see right now, but here's what we see. The blind, their eyes are being opened, and the deaf, they can hear now, and people who have leprosy are being cleansed.
and the mute are able to talk. And the dead are being raised. He doesn't say, John, suck it up. It's going to be okay. I'm the Messiah. He says, John, I know right now you can't see this. But you have to trust me. God's kingdom is here in the person of Jesus. And Jesus is Messiah. Hang on. And he says, blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. And you you think, okay, why why does he say that there? I, I think the translation should probably look like this. John, blessed is the person who hangs in there even though things don't look the way you expected them to look. I know you had this paradigm, this picture in your mind of how things were going to happen and how things were going to unfold, and they're not unfolding like that. And you're starting to question, and you're starting to doubt, and you're getting scared that this might end in death. But hang in there. Hang in there because you can't see beyond the walls of your cell. You can't see the kingdom is coming. I feel like so many times in my life, my vision is restricted. And God is at work in so many different ways, in so many different places. In all of the places that we said, God, we we think you're at work. We think you saved him from that car wreck. We think you redeemed him from the cancer. But let me tell you too, he's at work in the person's life who passed away. And he's at at work in the life of a 10-year-old boy. And he's doing things that we can't imagine and we don't expect and we don't see because our circumstances are not a reflection of how God feels about us. God is there. He loves you. He is pursuing you. He sees you in prison. He sees those walls that confine you, that restrict your vision. And He says, I want you to be in a community of believers and a group of people who can be your eyes when you can't see. Because there are times when I start to doubt and I start to question and I need you to be my eyes. Because all I can see is what's going on in my life and the pain and the hurt. And I need you to say, no, no, no. I understand you're going through some really difficult times. But let me tell you how God is working. I think the most powerful evangelism tool there is in the world is the church. Where we can look around and say, that family right there, they're together and their marriage was falling apart and somehow God redeemed and stored them and they had cancer and they couldn't make it and the church rallied around them and they passed away, but we saw the hands and feet of Jesus as they served that person and this child doesn't have a father and the church has stood around and been the father that that child needed. The most powerful evangelism tool is the body of Christ working together together to be the hands and feet and Jesus says let me tell you John I know these walls make it really hard to see and I know you're questioning 
Is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? Because it's put me in a prison cell. But I am still working in your circumstances. And it might not look like you thought it would look. But trust me, I am with you. I'm with you on those days where it seems like you can't get out of bed. I'm I'm with you when your marriage is hanging by thread. I'm with you when you're worried, sick, and you can't sleep because of your child. I'm with you as you await that report and that diagnosis from the doctor. I'm there, and I know you don't understand, and I know you don't see it. But you've got to trust me. You've got to keep moving forward. Because there's some good news. There's some good news. The deaf can hear. And the mute can talk. And the blind can see. And the lepers are being cleansed. And the dead are being raised. Hang on. Hang on. I promise In the end, you're going to understand it better. In the end, it's going to make sense. And you might not see it now. Right? You remember Kaylee and Doug last week? In this huge knowledge gap where Kaylee's looking at Doug explain gravity, and she's like, I don't know what you're saying. But maybe, maybe down the road, maybe one day, we look back and we say, oh, look at what God has done. Look at how God has increased my faith. Look at how much deeper my relationship is with God because of what I have gone through. Because I was questioning in the moment, God, where are you? And now I see so clearly. Know this. No matter what you're going through, no matter what your questions are, no matter what your life looks like right now, your circumstances are not a reflection of how God feels about you. And regardless of what you feel, I can promise you, He is there by your side. He's in the prison cell with John. And He is grieving because His child is hurting. And this morning, we're going to have our shepherds and their spouses in the back of the room. And if you're going through a really difficult time and you're struggling to see, I just want to invite you to to go back to them. 
and just share what's going on in your life. Allow them to pray with you or pray over you, pray for you. Allow someone else here this morning to be your eyes when your vision is restricted. And let's celebrate together the good news that the dead are being raised. And you can be raised as well. And if you've never given your life to Christ, we're going to offer you that invitation this morning. To come to Jesus with all your hurts and fears and doubts and just simply lay them at His feet. Not saying that they're all gone, but saying, God, I trust You with them. And I know that You're going to see me through. Father, we thank You so much for this time this morning. And Father, this story that has so much of our life written into it. So many of the fears and struggles we face and the unmet expectation and the circumstances that we go through. But Father, You are there. You are with us in the storm. And so Father, we're thankful for the way that You love us, the way that You walk with us. And Father, my prayer this morning is that for those who are struggling to see, that someone here in the body of Christ could be their eyes and help them to see beyond the walls of the cell that can find them. And Father, through all of this, we glorify, honor, and praise Jesus, Your Son, for all that He has done. We pray this in His name. Amen.